to embrace his mission. Jesus said, if you really love me, you'll obey my commands. And I commanded you to go into all the world, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. To know Jesus is to obey Jesus, John 14, 15. If you really love me, you'll obey my commands. And the bottom line is this, transformed lives are transformed for Christ. The reason he makes disciples is so that disciples can go out and do what Christ wants them to do. If you're not being transformed towards the purposes of Christ, you're not being transformed at all. You might look shinier, you might dress nicer, you might say amen louder, but if we are not being transformed to do what Christ calls us to do, we're faking it. So your mission says to know Jesus, and I would say to know him is to obey him, and your mission says to grow in Jesus, to grow in maturity, to grow in your relationship with him, by his grace, to be more like him. We understand that at the fall, this beautiful reflection of God's character that humanity was meant to be was marred. And and one of the roles of Christ in transforming us as we get to know him is that we become again, by his grace, a better reflection of who God is. You want to know him, you want to grow in him, therefore glorify him, which we talked about a minute ago. And your mission says to show Christ, to not only proclaim him, but to show what he is really capable of. And of course, that happens as we live authentic lifestyles that honor Christ and honor the gospel. You know, it's easy for us to say, you know, good things and godly things and even biblical things. It's pretty easy for us to to look the part, especially on Sundays or especially when we know people are looking. But what about the pattern of our lifestyle? Jot down Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Oh, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's how we really show who Christ is. Because the gospel transformed me and is by God's grace moving me towards being someone whose lifestyle looks more like a lifestyle that brings honor to Christ, who is the gospel. And so we want to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of Christ so that what we say we believe lines up with how we live that there would be alignment between our creed and our deed, between our belief and our behavior. I don't know. That's what I got when I read your mission. I love your mission statement, that we want to know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and show Jesus. That's a great mission. And that is ultimately the mission of of every true Bible-believing church. That's what God has called us to That's what Christ exemplified. In a minute, we are going to get to Acts chapter 8 after a rather rather lengthy introduction, but first I want to show you Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. A famous verse, probably know it in the old school, right? So without a vision, the people perish. I think the NIV says it like this, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Holman Christian Standard Bible says this, without a revelation, the people run wild and listen to, and, and, except the one who listens to instruction will be happy. And the message paraphrase says it like this, 
If people can't see what God is doing, they will stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. You ever been in a season in your life where you just stumble all over yourself? Happens to me a lot. You ever been in a season in your church where, where the church is just kind of stumbling over itself? I mean, we're not really getting, I mean, we're not doing bad things. We're doing good things, but sometimes the enemy of the best is second best. We're, we're kind of spinning our wheels without a, a solid vision, without, I love what's said here, without being attentive to what God reveals, we miss out on the blessing. We want to be attentive to what God is doing. We want to seek in prayer to perceive where God is working and how God is working so that we can join him there and not waste our energy on good stuff that isn't what Christ is doing. The church needs a mission. The church needs a revelation. We want to do the task with efficiency and precision. You know, Jesus said, come to me all you are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And all of us who've ever taken a role in ministry are going, rest, rest. Ministry is not rest. And yet, if we really dig at it, we realize that if we do it ourselves, it's very exhausting. If we do what Christ is doing and just kind of join him for the ride, we find there's a lot more energy there and we can do the mission with precision and with efficiency. Here's the bottom line. Jot this down if you're going to jot down sort of a title for today. A missional church is intentionally Christ-oriented. Okay, if you want to be on mission with God, if, if we're going to talk about being attentive to who God is and what God's doing, then we need to be Christ-oriented because Christ is the revelation. Christ is the vision. Where there is no revelation, the people run wild. But when we get a glimpse of who Christ is and what He's doing all around us, when we're Christ-oriented, we can embrace the mission. Okay, now turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're going to take a little snippet from Acts chapter 8 and see what this looks like live as it unfolds in Philip's life. Uh, just a quick background to get us there before we dive into Acts chapter 8 verse 1. A brief background so far in the book of Acts. The church is growing rapidly Throughout Jerusalem, the apostles have been boldly proclaiming the gospel. They've been causing quite a stir. Uh, things are being turned upside down. The Jewish religious leaders are extremely frustrated. It's becoming quite a tumultuous situation. They are going to increasingly desperate and aggressive measures to crush the church, trying to stomp it out before it gains any more momentum. But Christ is building his church, and there's no standing against it. That was a great spot for an amen, by the way. Let's try that again. Christ is building his church and there's no standing against it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's what's happening. And then we see in chapter 7, Stephen, an appointed leader, one of the first seven churches, and he's a leader and he is radically devoted to Christ. He's courageous. He's ambitious. He's full of wisdom and the Spirit of God. And he goes out and preaches a real like hardcore, uh, you know, summary of the gospel and you guys missed it and now's your chance and they don't like it. We know that Stephen becomes the first Christian martyr and they stone him to death. And Paul is there watching. That's when we see the introduction of this violent persecutor, Paul, which will come up in a couple of minutes. Uh, Saul at the time. 
Amazingly, he would become the greatest church planner that ever lived. And we pick it up in uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Let's just read that in your Bibles. And that'll give us the background of Philip's story. On that day, that is the day that Stephen died, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, and godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged them off to prison, men and women, and put them in prison. Verse 4. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went, and Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. That's how the story begins. And we're going to take a minute and see what Philip was up to as he made himself increasingly more Christ-oriented in embracing the mission. Very quickly before we do that, I want you to make note of one thing that happens in the text that we just read. A great persecution breaks out against the church. Persecution not only purifies the church, but it amplifies the church's mission. You can see that all the way through the New Testament. You can see Paul speak to it directly in the book of Philippians. I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Persecution breaks out against the church. Stephen's death is tragic. It is, it is brutal, and yet it's beautiful. And God does not waste his suffering. And the Christians then scatter all over the region. And because they are on fire for the Lord, I mean, they just can't help it. And everywhere they go, they're preaching the gospel and sharing the good news about who Christ is. And the thing begins to spread, and the territory expands. In fact, you can jot down for later, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. It says this, now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with uh, what happened to Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord, all because of what happened when persecution broke out against the church. Just a little side note for us. In Canada, 2018, our persecution looks a little different than that. Perhaps not for long. It will purify the church. And it will maximize our passion for the mission. We've got to make a decision pretty soon here. What side of that we want to land on. That's just a side note. After Stephen's death. Now let's go to uh, chapter 8, verse 26, and pick up the story of Philip. We're going to just kind of read it and stop along the way to, to make a few points of application. Have your pen in hand. If you're a note taker, if you're not, get a pen in hand and take some notes for the first time. <laughs> chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south. Just underline and circle the word go. Go south to the road, the desert road that leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Jot this down. Mission involves 
going where we may not want to go. Mission involves going where we may not want to go. Here, here's Philip experiencing, as we read a little bit earlier in the text, experiencing this phenomenal success in Samaria of all places. Of course, Christ had prepared the work in Samaria, hadn't he? And, and here's Philip experiencing this incredible success. Everyone is listening and paying close attention to what he says. Now, pastor, if you're in a place where everyone's paying close attention to what you're saying, how eager are you to leave that place? We usually like to lap that up. They're listening. They're changing. They're excited. They're, I'm preaching the gospel, and they love it, and they want more of it. And the Spirit says to him, go south down the road. Oh, oh by the way, uh, it's a desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, the desert road is a lovely 50-mile trip through the desert alone. That's just what everybody wants. Mission involves going where we may not want to go. Philip had had this amazing success in Samaria, and people are getting saved, and the Scripture says, this is a paraphrase, uh, the entire city was abuzz. I mean, everyone was fired up about what God was doing. And yes, in the midst of this, God says to Philip, go somewhere else. What part of the Great Commission is that? Yeah, first part, most important part. Go into all the world to make disciples. You know, sometimes for us in churches, we, we can just get so cozy here. I mean, it's comfortable. I know everybody. It, it, I mean, it's not a 50-mile trip down the desert road. But Philip just goes. Doesn't indicate that he does what we might have done. I probably would have said, but God, I'm comfortable here. Uh, but God, I'm experiencing success here. Um, the programs that I am currently administrating, Lord, it, they're working. And the cool and fun events that we planned over and over again, I mean, they're working. I don't really want to go and do something else. I'm happy here, but not Philip. God says go, and he just goes. Jot this down. God had free and unrestricted access to Philip. Philip had given himself totally and completely to the mission of Christ because he was not activity-centered. He was not event-centered. He was not success-centered. He was Christ-centered. And the Lord said, go. So he went. Mission is Christ-focused and spirit-attentive. One commentator I was reading this week said this, Philip was not preoccupied with expanding his reputation as a great preacher. Oh, we can all get caught up in that. Right? With expanding our reputation as a great church, as a cool happening place, Philip was not preoccupied with expanding his reputation as a great preacher or even as a miracle worker. He was concerned that his life remained in the center of God's activity. Now that is what our churches need. We need to be concerned only and ever that our lives remain in the center of God's activity. And God said, go, and so he went. Different story for Jonah. Different story for, for us, perhaps, at times. So he started out, pick it up in verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. That's kind of interesting. 
Don't know a lot about this guy, but he's not necessarily a Christ follower yet. And in fact, we're going to learn that. But in some capacity, he's a Gentile, as a non-Jew, a Gentile who fears God. And he's interested in who this God is. And so it says that he goes uh, to Jerusalem to worship, or in fact, had been there, and he came away with a souvenir. I'm going to read about that in a minute. On his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, and the Spirit told Philip, Go, underline that in your Bible again, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Make a note of this. Mission means listening and watching for where God is working. Because probably the last person that Philip would have expected is this Ethiopian official uh, steeped in various forms of spiritualism. And maybe he saw him go by and never gave it a second thought. And the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to him and he's listening. He's attentive. All the other noise that distracts us. He's not having that problem. Maybe that's why he was walking down the desert road. You ready to walk through a wilderness to get God's voice, get a chance to really come through? I've been there. It sucks. It's good after. It's good after. And, and, And so here the Spirit of the Lord says to him, go to that chariot and stay there near it. Mission means we're listening for and watching for where God is working because God is always working. And it's no accident that this man has a keen interest in God. It's no accident that he's been led to God's word. He's actually, we're going to find out in a moment, he's reading from what I like to call the gospel of Isaiah. And God is drawing this individual into a relationship with Christ. Let me just side note for a second. I don't know all you people. But I know in a congregation this size, there's always going to be people here this morning who know about Jesus, but don't know him. And it's no accident that you're here. You didn't decide to come. God is drawing us towards him. If If you find yourself with a Bible in your hand, if you find yourself sitting under biblical teaching, if you find yourself under Christ-centered worship or a leader who is leading you towards Jesus, it's no accident. God is at work in you. And so here's what happens. We see this, uh, this, this Ethiopian is going along and he's riding in his chariot and the Spirit told, tells Philip, go up there and stay near the, the chariot. Verse 30, pick it up in your Bible. The, then uh, Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip's like, yes, I have that memorized. I'm good. He's reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? Now that is a great conversation starter. If you ever bump into a family member or a friend and you just watch some video online, you wouldn't expect them to be watching some preacher, some teacher, some, some cool video that gives an illustration, or you find somebody reading their Bible that you might not expect them to be reading their Bible. After you finish going, woohoo, then you can say, do you understand what you're reading? What do you, what do you think about that? Great conversations start that way. Don't miss those opportunities. And so he says to him, do you understand what you're reading And in verse 31, he replies, how can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So Philip, you know, he said he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage from the scripture. Look at Isaiah. Uh, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. We'd often read that at communion at our church on Good Friday. Verse 34, Then 
The eunuch asked Philip, please tell me. Is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then you're going to underline this passage in your Bible. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and correcting and training and rebuking. Jot this down. Mission is readiness with the Gospel and confidence in the Word. Mission is readiness with the Gospel and confidence with the Word. You know, it's statistically been proven that many Christians, most Christians, in fact, will never lead another person to Jesus. It's often just left to the ministry workers to share the Gospel content. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God. And your shoes are what? Readiness. Man, we need that. Readiness so that when that little opportunity flies by, we, we hear it and we dive on it because we're ready. Mission is readiness with the gospel and confidence in the word. Daily, we ought to be consuming the word of God. Not only for our own maturing as disciples, but also in our being continually ready and prepared to administer the gospel when God gives us opportunities and God brings opportunities to ready people. Don't get caught up being the church where it's like, well, my pastor will be ready. That's his job to be ready. We pay, you know, his bills so that he'll be ready. Do they pay your bills? Ephesians chapter 4 says that your pastor is gifted to prepare you for works that you should be doing. And so here we have this incredible thing. I jotted this down. Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that you have. Man, I wish I came up with that. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And so here we have this incredible thing. Verse 35, underline it in your Bibles. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture... And he told him the good news about Jesus. Are you ready? Like at a moment's notice, are you ready to tell somebody the good news about Jesus? With whatever passage of Scripture comes up, do you know that Jesus is the scarlet thread from the very beginning all the way to the very end from Genesis to Revelation? You can use almost any part of Scripture to ultimately point people towards Christ. Take some practice. Are we ready? And so he just simply gives him the gospel. He shows him what that suffering servant was accomplishing in that picture in Isaiah. God loved and we fell away. So God gave. Because he loved, he gave Our job is to believe and to receive. God loves His creation, but we turned our backs on Him. Instead of living for Him, we lived for sin and self, and we embraced the temptation. In Genesis 3, which isn't like this apple looks tasty, it's you'll be like God. You'll know as much as God knows. You won't need God. That's the root of sin. 
And we embraced that. We turned our backs on God and we said, I I can do this on my own. And then we were so weird because we even say, well, if God exists, I can be good enough. I'll get there on my own. If your plan is to get to heaven someday and be like, God here did it. Here's my list. Pretty cool, huh? It's a bad plan. And so he gives him the gospel and he unpacks it from what I call the gospel of Isaiah. I love that. Christ gave his life. He paid for our sin. We believe, we put our our weight on what Christ has done. We turn from our sin and embrace Christ by faith as the only basis for our forgiveness. And then we receive the gift He's offered of forgiveness and eternal life. And look look what happens. By the way, just a quick side note. I want you to picture this for a moment. Picture Philip. These guys would have absorbed the book of Isaiah all down through their life. And then they've seen it happen live in front of their very faces. And the things proclaimed in Isaiah that would take place in Jerusalem, it just happened. And now he's going, oh, of course. Oh my goodness, I get it. This might be the first time that he gets to use the book of Isaiah to share the gospel. I don't know. I just think that's a super cool moment. I wanted to be there. Uh, verse 36, look what happened. So as they travel along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, ooh, look. <clears throat> I added that part. Ooh. Look, here is some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? You may notice in some of your texts that verse 27 is missing. See that? It goes from verse 26 to verse 28. Some later manuscripts included the verse there in the original language that said this. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, then you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then verse 38, and he, yeah, sorry, verse 37 we just added, not 27. Verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now think about this for a minute. It's not just Philip and the eunuch. There would be a whole caravan of people here. He gave orders to stop the chariot. Who was he talking to? Stop the chariot. I will. (laughs) Thank you. Instant transformation for him. He he gets it because God was at work in him. Philip saw the opportunity and Philip got to drive it home. And now he wants to be baptized with proclamation. So verse 38, they stopped the chariot and they went into the water and Philip baptized him. What a great moment. Some of you need to take that step. You know, the pattern in Scripture is baptize and believe. They, they believed, excuse me, and were baptized. They were believed and they were baptized. Sometimes we just labor over that way. I don't want to, I don't want to. I don't want everyone to see. I don't want to make this proclamation of what God has done in my heart. I want to make it too loudly. I'm going to wait for the opportune moment. Sometimes we just need to wrestle with that a bit. Verse 39, this is so cool. And they came up out of the water. <clears throat> The Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, whoever appeared in Azotos and traveled about, what's he doing? Traveling about, having a vacation because he's been working very hard. Traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This crazy thing, we don't have time to unpack now, but we see Philip obedient to God. He does what God wants him to do, baptizes the guy. They come up out of the water. Philip's just taken away to the next spot. And the the Ethiopian goes, goes on rejoicing. 
Yeah, he has something to rejoice in. He's just received the truth he'd been longing for. Philip was swept away, and he just shows up somewhere else and just keeps preaching, doesn't miss a beat. I don't even think he went around with newsletters showing everybody the great success he just had. He just kept going. Here's what mission is. Make a note of this fourth thing. Mission is being attentive, teachable, and leadable. You know, far too many of us, me included at many times in my life, not attentive, not teachable, not leadable. I got stuff I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And ain't nobody going to tell me there's something better for me to be doing. Mission is being attentive, teachable, and leadable. I didn't know. Uh, I, you emailed me the songs you're going to sing this morning, and I, I saw the email I didn't register. I couldn't have told you this. I'm sorry. I couldn't have told you this morning what songs we're going to be singing. But I know I had jotted down in my notes, it's not about me. That was in one of the songs we sang this morning. I think that's just a neat God just driving that home for us. Uh, Henry Blackaby writes this. Here's what mission is. God finding those whose hearts are right with him and placing them where they can make a difference for his kingdom. God, finding those whose hearts are right with Him and placing those people where they can make a difference for His kingdom. That's the key. God had full and unrestricted access to Philip. Not because God is all-powerful, though that is true, but because Philip was willing. He was attentive. He was teachable. He was leadable. I'm going to say something uncomfortable. Because I've had this said to me and I needed it. Some of y'all are just not teachable. You're not leadable. And you're not attentive. And the reason I can say that with you, not to offend you, but to just bring a little truth to you, because that's the human condition. Sin is I don't need God. I can be like Him. I can know what He knows. And if we allow that to work into our hearts, we'll be people who look really great on the outside, but we're not attentive to what God is doing. We're not teachable. And we're not leadable. And we're more concerned with the color of the pews and the paint on the walls than people who are dying and sinking into hell outside our doors. Mission is being attentive, teachable, and leadable. It's not about me. As I studied this week, I jotted these things down. A selfish church will never be a missional church. A self-centered church will never be a gospel-centered church because the gospel is selfless. The gospel is the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, God, but your will be done. That's the gospel. And if we are self-centered, we can't act on a selfless gospel. Mission is being attentive, teachable, and leadable. Let's just finish up with these few thoughts. How... Are we doing? Are we attentive, teachable, and leadable? Does this describe us? Does this describe our churches? You're like, well, it does kind of describe our church. It doesn't really describe me at times. Maybe my church could use a little more of me in that capacity by God's grace. We can so get preoccupied with life and we can dig in even to the life of the church in such wonderful and positive ways and yet sometimes we can still be so preoccupied 
with the things we love to do for Jesus, that we're not listening to the things that he wants us to do for him in our community. We like to get good publicity and good reviews and build a reputation and host cool and trendy and fun and exciting events. And and those things can be okay. But when they get us into a mode of attraction, because Jesus said, um, go into all the world and ask them to come to you. Right? When we get into a mode of attraction in the way that we do ministry, it's a dangerous place because we miss the go. So how are we doing with that? God looks for those who are willing to have their lives radically adjusted away from their self-centered activities and placed into the center of God's activity. Everything we see Philip accomplish in this little vignette, it's all amazing. But it's because it's what God was doing. It's what God was already doing. And Philip was willing. And he got that incredible blessing of being able to be part of what God was already doing. God was clearly going ahead of Philip. Let's take it home with this. At, um, at Riverside, we often talk about our mission in the, in the context of uh, mission, that, that is the going. So mission, community service, and discipleship. We try to have a practical ap- approach to what God has called us to do going out locally, you know, actually going into our community through various means and then taking those opportunities to introduce people to Jesus. You know, one of the things that we've started doing, and we kind of boiled down, it's not about us by any means, but, you know, just to share how God has called us, we, we started sort of boiling down all those church planning books and manuals and kind of setting them aside to this. Uh, find the needs in your community that aren't being met and begin to meet those needs. So that's what we tell our people. Find the needs, be attentive to the needs in our community that aren't being met, and find a way through the love of Christ to go and meet those needs. Uh, One of the things that we've done a lot is anytime we hear about something going on in our community that our town is running, that our community is running, or that some volunteer group is running, some kind of event, um, we'll just contact them and say, we're happy to come. We'll bring a team of volunteers. We'll be the people who change the garbages. Really? Yeah, we'll we'll just come. We'll change the garbages, or we'll we'll um, you know clean the washrooms, or or whatever. You know, we'll help set up the inflatables. If you just need some bodies, we'll just come and give you some help. Recently, our community uh, hosted. They pulled it together really fast, and at the arena, they hosted a fundraising event for the Humboldt families. Here's what's really crazy: uh, one of the guys that plays on our local hockey team had started the season in Humboldt and got traded eight games into the season, was traded to our community. So they put together this incredible event. We emailed the organizers. We said, we'll be there. What do you need? We'll change garbage. I gave the kind of the general spiel, right? We'll come with people. We'll change garbages. We'll clean up afterwards. I mean, whatever you need. We'll clean the bathrooms. It's going to be a big crowd. We'll check the bathrooms every 20 minutes, whatever you need. You know what they asked us to do? Thank you, they said, for offering to help. Could you come and run the donation table? We, we want you to man that whole thing. Collect the donations, write down people's names for tax receipts. I mean, the whole thing. If you could run the donation table. I mean, we didn't, we didn't want that kind of profile. Or, 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 that's an honor, quite an honored position. They trusted us with that. And so we need to find ways in our community where we can just go. We can be willing to be present and meet needs that aren't being met. 
Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Discipling and teaching those who then receive Christ is the key next step in the mission. So this is what we did a couple years ago, and I want to maybe encourage you with this as we close. We we drawed in, sort of drew in on the focus of Christ as we tried to practically put some legs under how we were gonna how we were gonna do the the kind of ministry we see Philip doing here and focusing in on somebody or being attentive and you can't be attentive to everybody. But we know that Jesus focused in on the twelve and then he really honed in on three. We see that Jesus really honed in on Peter, James, and John in terms of their development and the role that they would play in the church. And then they went on and they turned the world upside down. And so we took this challenge at Riverside a couple years ago. I want you to consider uh, taking three people and making them your personal mission. Three people that you will pray for daily, pursue intentionally, serve sacrificially, love unconditionally, and share your faith with at every opportunity. And when they come to faith, someone that you will disciple faithfully. Could you think of three people? Family, coworkers, people you go to school with, your neighbors. Could you think of a lot more than three people, I'm sure that you could, but why don't you just start being really intentional and attentive to what God might be doing in the lives of three people that you could minister to, that you would pray for daily, pursue intentionally, serve sacrificially, love unconditionally, and share your faith with them at every opportunity. And as God answers, you will have the opportunity then to disciple them faithfully. And always keeping in mind that mission involves going where we may not want to go. Listening and watching for where God is working. Readiness with the Gospel and confidence in God's Word. One of the greatest things, that the worst things, that, that hampers Gospel ministry in your life and in mine is biblical illiteracy. We don't know the Word, so we can't share the Word. Mission is readiness with the gospel and a confidence in God's word. And finally, mission is being attentive, teachable, and leadable. God, help us to be Christ-centered and ready to go on mission with Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your word. Your word is, is powerful and it encourages us, and then it convicts us as well. Today, if we've heard your word, let us not harden our hearts. God, I, I, would, I would talk first about myself. I know that all too often, I'm not attentive. I'm not paying attention. I'm, I'm not listening to you, Lord. I'm not reading your word. I, I'm not filling my heart with the gospel so that it's ready to spill out of me. All too often, I am, I am looking out for me. I will be the first to confess that. And oh God, forgive me and change my heart. I pray in Jesus' name. And as this church, God, goes on to follow you, pour out your blessing on them. Speak to them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.